Good morning. This is fascinating. Uh, it's great to be here. And I thank you for the acknowledgement. We bring a lot here this morning. And, um, and it's, it's great to be together. Um, it's great to have folks with us. Um, all my kids are home from college. I'm happy about that. Um, it's good to see. Uh, yesterday, we got to celebrate the beautiful life of Bill Hank and um, also mourn that loss. And it's good to have the Fitzgerald clan here this morning. Um, continue to remember that. Um, and we didn't anticipate seeing the Coxes, but it's good to see you. Um, and I want to, you know, in some ways, that sets us up for this this um, next little bit here, because I want to talk about encounters this morning, encounters we don't anticipate, and sometimes encounters with strangers. And so I want us to think about that first for a minute, all right? Um, think about a story about an encounter with a stranger that was surprising, helpful, or revealed a truth, or all three. An encounter with a stranger in your life could have been recently, could have been a long time ago, could have been something that just happened yesterday, all right? An encounter with a stranger. I'm not going to give you a lot of time for this, so just think about that and then just turn to somebody near you and, and share about that, okay? Go. Encounter with a stranger. All right, I'm going to call us back. By quick show of hands, how many of your encounters uh, involved um, or stories involved in an encounter at a familiar place or like an everyday place, like the grocery or, yeah. How many of those encounters were in unfamiliar or new kind of places or locations? Yeah. Or somewhere in between? Um, I want to share a couple of my encounter with encounters with strangers with you. Um, I've had a lot, but both of these involve stories with strangers who spoke a particular kind of word into my life, um, and people who, um, yeah, who spoke a prophetic word into my life. So the first one, I was almost 16. Um, many of you have met my friend Kara Beth, who I grew up with, who's been a visitor here from time to time, um, and lives overseas. And we were on our way to a summer camp with our friend Josh, and we ended up staying the night at this um, bus driver's house in Pikeville, Kentucky. I'm code switching a little bit because no one ever in the history of Pikeville has said Pikeville, it's Packville, okay? And so in Packville, Kentucky, uh, we met Barb, and Barb was a bus driver. I don't have her picture, um, but I have this picture from the bus. And this was like a couple days later, and we were on our way to um, South Georgia, and somewhere along the way, the bus broke down. You know, like every good, good story, um, there, were, there were hours spent in the sweltering summer southern humidity waiting on this bus to get fixed. But Barb um, was a particular kind of Christian of a particular Pentecostal variety who saw um, the spirit everywhere, but also saw the devil everywhere. And so, including like a particular interaction with the window shades um, that 
that that she blamed on the devil, and which which when I was thinking about this story made me think of Kurt. You should try that when the shades aren't working right, right? The devil's in the details. But she was this this thoughtful, beautiful person, and she um, she spoke a prophetic word over us and and blessed us. And one of the the two things that I remember about that is that for Carabeth, she spoke to her about being the tears of the Lord, um, which we brought up over and over and over again for decades, and we still do. Um, And her word for me was being the joy of the Lord, which might surprise some of you, uh, my children. And, you know, these words, like, what do you do with it? And I think in the moment, I didn't know what to do with it. And over time, um, that passage that she spoke was from Nehemiah 8.10, about the joy of the Lord being your strength. And and that became more and more meaningful to me in my journey, um, thinking about a word of joy to a discouraged people um, who were returning from exile and, and trying to rebuild a life. Um, the second story is uh, we were on a spring break trip. This is um, early. This was actually like two weeks after Missy and I got married, I think, and we were taking a bunch of students to Panama City Beach, Florida, because this is a thing that you did. Um, and I, being me, planned a service day at a local community center during that time. I think not everybody was thrilled about that, but we were like serving at this place. I'm not sure how helpful we really were. And again, I don't have a picture of this moment, but there was a woman there serving the community center, and she asked to pray for us at the end of our time. And she, um, during that prayer, spoke a prophetic word um, over me specifically. And there were two elements of that um, that I remember. One, that, that my ministry would bring young people together from east and west. And then she said that I would be called Fun, Fun, Fun. That would be my middle name. It's fun, fun, fun. Uh, Something that my wife routinely reminds me of. Um, Yep. Those of you who know me see some of the irony here. Um, But again, there was something powerful about this word. And and later, um, Missy pointed out that we managed to get kids from the rival middle schools in our community together to form friendships. Uh, And... um, and those schools were east and west middle. Um, and that word about coming together, bringing together from the east and from the west. Um, but I, I think there was something, I can't help but think there was something about my longer term vocational work um, to serve young people in a much broader way. But these encounters with strangers are mysterious, right? And, and these words that people have for us can be mysterious and sometimes can be Uh, We have a lot of questions about them and sometimes can be really deep and profound. And and, and encounters, yeah, sometimes we just don't know what to do with them. And that's the kind of story we're going to look at today. Um, We're going to turn to a story of an encounter with Jesus. It's a big story. Uh, It's a story about a woman who's a very significant figure, I think, in the New Testament, though we don't know her name. She became the second woman in John's gospel to challenge Jesus and not the last. The first person to whom Jesus chose to reveal his identity as the Messiah. The only recipient in the gospels of any instruction from Jesus about right worship. 
and the first evangelist to the Samaritans or to any people group beyond the Jews. This one's important. And her story comes to us in kind of a lengthy narrative. And so I've asked a few students to help me out this morning. So come on up. This is Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. Um, and, and they're going to read it for us. If you all could share these two mics. Joel, if you could grab that one there. And then if the, if the three of you could kind of hand these back and forth. Yes. Um, there we go. On his way from Judea to Galilee, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get the living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a, wa a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You are right to say, I don't have a husband. Jesus answered, You've had five husbands and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or... Why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jar and went into the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Later, many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. 
Many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, friends. Whew. It's quite a story. It's a big story. And uh, I have a few thoughts about this. We'll see. We'll see how far we get before the kids come back. Um, I, have, I have some reflections. Okay. Um, one is uh, Jesus went looking for an encounter here. Jesus went looking for an encounter. The passage says that he had to go through Samaria, but, but did he? Um, it's not geographically true, and Jews usually avoided it on this particular, on their way from Jerusalem to Galilee. And so not everyone would agree that he had to go through, but there are journeys that compel us. And there are places we go because we're drawn or because we want to see something or someone or avoid something or someone. And so we have to go through certain places. And I think Jesus maybe was looking for this encounter. And Jesus was tired and he was thirsty. This, this is how we, how we kind of enter the, the, the scene. Is a human Jesus who's on a journey he seems compelled to take, looking for an encounter. But the woman, I think, perhaps was not looking for an encounter. So here we find the other main character in this story um, who's at the well at midday. So this is the opposite of the story we just looked at last week about Nicodemus coming in the dark, and here's Here's Jesus coming to her in full daylight. It's hot. It's maybe the wrong time of day to go to the well. Who goes to draw water at the hottest part of the day? Probably someone who's avoiding people, who's avoiding confrontation, maybe avoiding strangers. And we could probably say for sure she didn't start her day looking to have a theological debate with a Jewish rabbi. I think it's pretty safe to say that wasn't what she was anticipating. And she basically says no. I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating here. Um, she knows that by touching something that she touched, Jesus would become ritually unclean. And so she challenges his request. Why would you ask me? Why would you ask me, a Samaritan woman, to get you a drink of water it's confusing, it's disruptive, it's maybe even rude, like he's mocking her. And so she's feeling him out a little bit. She's, she's unafraid to spar with this stranger. And I love her boldness and her power in this passage. And I, and I like for looking what's missing. And what's curious to me in this passage, one of the things, is that we don't know if she actually gave him a drink of water. I mean, it doesn't say whether Jesus ever got water. And, and I imagine this encounter, you know, where she's kind of like, I don't know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And Jesus goes with it. He goes with the encounter. 
It's fascinating in part because lots of these kinds of encounters involve Jesus initially saying no or, or not saying yes to a request. And here we have that flipped on its head. Jesus is the one requesting. Jesus is the one in need. And this woman's like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And just to pause there for a minute, I think it's remarkable that we got this story at all. It's remarkable that we got this story preserved for us and in this way. There are lots of reasons for, frankly, men to change details of this because they were the ones who got to write it down. Um, it's remarkable. There's a lot going on. There's complex identity, history, and personal stories that shape this encounter. This is not generic in any way. It's so personal and cultural and embodied. And in the backdrop, there's a lot here. Jesus is in Samaria. He's talking with a Samaritan. This is an ethnic and religious other, even enemy to the Jews. They're on disputed land with disputed religious traditions, and they're all under the umbrella of the Roman Empire, who's occupied and who's in force. The Assyrian strategy for domination, including mixing people groups, and that's kind of how the Samaritans ended up, um, being they were sort of on one hand an ancient tribe, and on the other hand... Um, there was some ethnic mixing that happened, and so the Jews had a lot of reasons to dislike them. Um, the Samaritans were a resilient people. They were survivors, we could say. And this was a well, but it wasn't just any well. It was Jacob's well. I think that's really fascinating. So way back in Genesis, we read that Jacob bought the land after his famous wrestling match with God, his encounter with his estranged brother, all of that. And it says he gave it to Joseph, but if you remember, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. They all end up for Egypt. They're there for a long time. There's, there's, there's this going back and this exile and this going back again. But somehow this well's identity remained consistent through all of that, which I think is fascinating. On Samaritan land, Jacob's well. And Jesus doesn't argue with her about any of that. He doesn't argue with her about whose land it is, whose well it is, um, or who's important in the story. And I want to acknowledge a couple of things about that, too. We're, we're reading this passage here on contested land, forcibly taken from the indigenous Tongva people who lived here before us and who were enslaved in the name of Christian mission. And we're reading it in a week when around the world there's devastating violence happening in the land we're reading about, in Israel and Palestine, contested land, contested worship. Ethnic hatred continued to divide and destroy around the world, in Israel and Palestine, in Ukraine, in Armenia, right now and here in the U.S. That desire to destroy and erase the other runs deep, and it's not other people's problem. That's all going on. And this in town encounter turns into a worship debate. We'll, we'll come back to the intensely personal moment for a second, but note how deftly the woman turns the conversation towards right worship. 
Jesus is talking to her about her relationships. And, and she, um, she turns this to, huh, I see you're a prophet. Let's talk about worship. Because we disagree about that with the Jews. The right time, the right place, the right ways. The well sits within sight of a mountain, which was the site of a Samaritan holy place, um, a second temple that, by the way, a Jewish priest had destroyed within recent enough memory for it to be a, a sore point. And Jesus reorients worship away from that argument. And, and I want to, and remarkably, the only instruction that Jesus gives about worship in the whole New Testament is right here that the true worshipers would worship God in spirit and in truth. He's not interested in getting in debates about who's right, who's wrong, what's the right time, what's the right place. He says, we're going we're gonna to jump out of that argument because we're welcome, we're invited by this God to worship in spirit and in truth. It sounds a little vague, right? <laughs> Which sounds a lot like Jesus. And he ultimately says, hey, I'm that guy. That true worshipers from here forward will offer true worship to the one I am, the Messiah, who offers living water to anybody who would want it. And that's me. This is about who I am and who God has sent me to be in the world for you. And the invitation is there. The invitation is there. And in the midst of this invitation, Jesus gets very personal. And he talks about her personal life and her relationship issues. And, 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 and there's some awkward gender power dynamics here. She names them. She's sidestepping some of them. Jesus brings up her relationship status. It quickly gets complicated. But again, I love what's looking for what's missing here. I think it's striking that in this conversation, Jesus never mentions sin. He never mentions repentance. It's striking that Jesus doesn't give her a directive or a formula for salvation. He doesn't say, confess and repent from all your past sin, leave your boyfriend or marry him, clean up your act, get your theology right, and then follow me. Instead, he welcomes her move to change the subject to theology. He welcomes even the playfulness and irony in this conversation. And at the end of the day, he's still offering her living water. Come. Be part of this story. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't care about the details of her life at all. It means that they need not be obstacles um, to following him. And Jesus gets personal about himself as well um, in the midst of this. His I am statement we could, we could talk about for the whole rest of the morning. But in saying I am, I am. Um, he's repeating Yahweh's self-revelation to Moses. He's tying together all these threads of all the stories about God across the centuries to the Jews, to the Samaritans, to us. He's saying, I embody all of that. Yes, I'm here to be Messiah. Yes, 
I'm here to be good news. Yes, I'm here to be living water. And it's an open invitation. And so what happens next out of that is evangelism. It's it's sharing good news. This woman goes out. She runs back to the others. By the way, she puts down the water jar, right? Again, I'm not even sure she gave Jesus a drink. And goes to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? And they all come out, and then later they convince him to stay. And then they say, we believe too. We believe because we've seen and heard with our own eyes. Her witness, though, her witness mattered. They they listened and paid attention. This is a remarkable story. And I wonder about a story like this. Who's it for? Why was it captured? Why was it repeated? Why did it make its way to us? And what word does it have for us here today in 2023, in Monrovia, in Los Angeles, in, at Mountainside? So a few things, and you can take this conversation with you to lunch. The first is that Jesus upends our assumptions, and we do well to hold our certainty lightly. Who gets to encounter God? Who gets to do theology? Who gets to be on the inside? Who's approved of and loved? We can hold that lightly and trust where God leads and trust Jesus to be the one who gets to decide. And I think that's good news. Second, our stories matter, and they are seen and held by God. We're not limited by our stories, our people, our traditions, our own choices, and the things we did not choose. We're not limited by those. God sees it all. And being seen is so close to being loved that for most of us, they are the same. And I want to stretch to say that even in this encounter, I think this woman felt seen and loved by Jesus. God may encounter us in the everyday and when we do not choose. At times we do not choose. Our invitation is to be open and to be hospitable to God in all the forms that God might take or God's messengers in our peculiar lives. Barb the bus driver, the woman at the community center, those who might be prophets in our own lives that we do not expect. Also, we can push back on God. I think there's a lot of permission here to doubt, to ask hard questions, to be surprised with where those questions lead and to allow ourselves to find hope and even joy again on the other side of those questions and struggles and doubts. And God's not afraid of any of that. And God can surprise us with hope and joy when we lean in. And then finally, that we can go out in joy and share good news. That we don't need to be afraid to tell the stories of what God has done in our life or what God is doing in our life. 
of the good news that we've encountered, of the hope that we have. Because the joy of the Lord is, after all, our strength. And we might just discover a wellspring of living water bubbling up and out of us, too. I think that's what this woman, this dear woman, discovered that day at Jacob's well in Samaria, whether she gave Jesus water or not. He gave her water. Um, As we wait on the kids, um, take a minute, and then you can take this conversation to lunch, um, because we'll be singing here in a minute too, but which most resonates with you or, or with where you are? today. So you think about these takeaways from this passage. Um, Feel free to chat with each other. Musicians can come and, um, and we'll sing here.